Hola, are you there? Hello, beautiful. How are you? I'm doing super, super well. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. I'm cracking up at how fun and creative you are because I was definitely sitting here listening to Bootylicious as like the whole music, getting my life cracking up that like that is what you chose for like the waiting in the lobby music it's amazing i feel like bootylicious is the way to start to kick off anything um Absolutely. So, even a funeral okay like i need bootylicious to kick off my funeral um let's go ahead and introduce you uh what is your name who are you where can people find you if they want to find you online how do we know each other oh okay well my name is raquel i am Insta homies turned, I think, real life friends with Ella, and I just adore you. Um, and the only social media that I have, and my handle is it's the rock, I T S T H E R A C Q on Instagram, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, so you're one of my um, social media friends, which is kind of weird mm-hmm. to say, but that's definitely the age we're in. I have no idea how we met. I know that around 2012, 2013, I had a relatively popular blog, a dating blog. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I got an Instagram, all my blog followers like started following me on Instagram. So Mm -hmm. um, they probably got really disappointed when I stopped blogging. But (laughs) (laughs) it might be because of that. I have no idea. But whoever followed whom first, like what I love about your page is that you, of course, add humor to what you say, but a lot of what you say is so, you know, on the surface, it could feel very simple. But when you really take a step back and look at the propositions that you bring forth, there's so much wisdom and a lot of us are not talking about it. And of course, you sprinkle in again, your humor and so forth. But it's um, a lot of, how do you call it? Memes, words, yeah. a lot of pictures, yeah. right? Um, exactly. And, you know, a lot of them are yours, or you might, you know, pull something like you just pull these really great one liner nuggets. Um, For right now, I'm looking at your page. It's it's okay to clap for me, sis, because when you start winning, I'm going to clap for you too. Um, Just like these types of they're about dating or not dating or wanting marriage or, you know, kids. I mean, you just talk about life and something that I thought would be really interesting for us to touch upon. And you touch upon this in some of your posts is breaking generational cycles. This was a dialogue that my dad unintentionally or unknowingly started ingraining in me and my brother at an early age because my dad very much broke a lot of cycles and how he pivoted his life. I mean, made a total 180 on everything that was handed to him um, as a child, but there's still work to be done. So I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and we can kind of share family history and structure and see, can you tell me, I, I, you know, you and I, we aren't, you know, we, we aren't hanging out every weekend. So I don't know Mm -hmm. a lot about you and your background. I'm curious as to the people who have shaped you into being this wise, intelligent, kind, inspirational, lovely, beautiful soul of a person (laughs) that you are today. You were making me blush. First of all, thank you so much. Such high compliments. But um, okay, like, let's get into it. I definitely have um, kind of a different slash, I would say the epitome of modern family dynamic that I grew up with. Um, My parents 
God bless them. They dated for a short period of time before conceiving me and then broke up shortly thereafter. The way I can, or the way I describe it is they were two consenting adults that, you know, ended up being pregnant with baby, had me decide to co-parent. They both got married within a month of each other when I was three years old. So I've had four parents, at least four parents my whole life, um, two different households. So it's really interesting. I really went between two two-parent households, and I'm so very blessed for that, um, but they they couldn't be, I can't say they couldn't be any more different, but they were definitely different. Um, so growing up with my mom and my second dad, I was, I grew up out here in, Pencil, or in Pennsylvania, in California, and my dad and second mom were always on the East Coast, outside of, uh, primarily outside of the DC area, which is where I was born. So even just in that short little little snippet, there are a lot of dynamics and a lot of things going on um, just from the very beginning from when I came into this world. A lot of different personalities and everyone from different parts of, the, well, almost everyone from different parts of the country. I always try to say like my second mom or second dad because I am very blessed and I do have to kind of agree with you. Um, I'm very blessed and it is unique that my, like I said, my stepmom, stepdad, they both like they, they treated me and always have loved me like their own. Like you can't tell them otherwise either. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So for your step parents, like they were a part of your upbringing. They really Mm -hmm. influenced who you are today. Um, And I, I, again, I don't know these four individuals, who raised you, but just even hearing that your mom and dad were able to, even for your dad, not knowing anything about him, just upon age alone, I would question, which is a question I love to ask my friends when they're complaining about their parents, I would question and say, who taught your dad how to be a dad, that he made the decision to be a part of a woman with whom he wasn't going to have a relationship. He wasn't going to marry necessarily um, Mm -hmm. and and raise a child co-parent, you know, Mm co-parenting is a new term. That term didn't even exist when we were born. No, no, not at all. It's um, you're right. Co-parenting. It's, it's, it's not a new concept at all, but I think it's starting to be understood as a necessity. And when it really comes down to it, it's, you know, we were, I think their, their mindset was like, all right, we didn't work out, but we got this baby to raise and she's not going to be a baby forever. How do we go about, and, you know, and she, and she is a black girl going to be a black woman. How do we go about um, just raising her the best that we can to handle the world the best that she can with or without us? Um, it's, I, I give, I, and as I get older, I think we all tend to do this, particularly if you have good parents, as you think about it and you talk about it, it becomes more and more real to you. Like, wow, my parents really did the damn thing. Like they really did pull together and do what they had to do. And I know not everybody has that experience, but it took me to become an adult to realize exactly like you said, I mean, having four different personalities combine and join together to be the village to raise a child. Um, you know, you're going to have different opinions, you're going to have different perspectives and that sort of thing. But I didn't even know until I was an adult, how much their opinions differed. So they really did a good job in just being a united front, even like as a kid, you know, teenagers, you try to like pit your parents against each other or pull like little, little things. I could never like do one thing in one household and then get away with um, like get away with something completely different in another. I was able to pit my parents against each other because they refused to communicate with each other. And 
And so as we look at generational, generational cycles, I've had more epiphanies Mm -hmm. in the last five years, looking at how my dad was raised, how my mom was raised. I had an epiphany in the last year that the struggles I have in my relationship with my mother, they might be slightly different, but from an outside perspective, they're virtually the same problems that she has Mm. with her mother. And furthermore, my great grandmother passed away a few years ago. Mm. My grandmother and my great grandmother had the same issues. And it's, and and so last year I kind of had this thing with my mom and I was like, are you just going to do what your mother did with her mother and what you've done with your mother? And now you're going to do that with me. Like, is Mm. that what we're doing here? Because it seems so obvious. And again, the, the nuances, right? The details of why you have the strain could be different. So when you're in it, you don't even realize you're repeating the cycle because it doesn't look exactly the same. But when you really take a step back and go, huh, she has issues. She wasn't talking to her mother when she died. You're not talking to your mother now. And I'm not talking to you. Right. <laughs> it, it's what are we doing? Spirit. It's the mm-hmm. same spirit that's like going in within the family or looping within these. Yeah, no, I totally, totally understand and can relate to that. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, generational curses, I think, again, is, it's one of those topics kind of like co-parenting where it's, it's not a new concept, but people, I think, are just starting to really become hip to it. I definitely see it um, with like my biological parents, families, particularly my mom's side, I'm, I'm probably more sensitive to and pick up on more, um, I would say, patterns, lifestyle choices, decisions being made or pivotal decisions being made kind of at the same time. Um, and I'm probably more sensitive to it because my mother's family is primarily women. So we definitely have that whole matriarchal, and I, I hate to say it, but it's like the trope of the, of the strong black woman, you know, um, and that's definitely throughout my mom's family. Um, the first one that I can think of off the top of my head, one of like my epiphanies that I've had in the last year that I actually had to share with my mom is that with us being a family full of women, almost all of us between my grandmother, my cousins, my aunt, my mother, and myself, we all have different last names. And okay. that's like, that's a very interesting thing to me, um, just in terms of how we have or have not kept our families together and what that and just what that means so again so with me when I was born I was born out of wedlock I have a different last name than my mother I have my dad's last name um my mother has her stepdad's last name who my grandmother was married to at the time my mother was born so there's that even just one generation ahead of me and then my grandmother had a different last name than I believe her mother. So my great grandmother. So just looking at little things like that, um, you can see, you could, I mean, I guess the most obvious uh, curse or pattern that comes with that is just having kids out of wedlock, you know, and not having a solid family unit when we're bringing babies into this world. It's um, so funny that you say that though, because my mom, it, 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 my mom and all her sisters have the same last name, which is weird, which is weird right. because they're all married. And furthermore, the crazy thing is like, cause my mom made that epiphany. She's like, all of us sisters have the same last name, their maiden name. They still have their maiden name for different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. The ones who are married didn't change their name. 
And because then they didn't change their name because they got married later in life. And they're like, well, I've already been this for like the first 40, whatever years of my life. I'm not changing it now. I have that one aunt who, who named her kids after her. Oh, <laughs> um, so she gave her kids her maiden name, which I find interesting. You know, my mom and I never had the same last name. And that was something that always bothered me and embarrassed me. Um, Mm. She technically does have my last name, but she started using her maiden name again, um, you know, again, when I was like seven years old. Yeah. And then um, let's see. And then my other aunt is divorced. And then the other aunt, I don't know if she's married. I I always forget if they got married or if they're just cohabitating. But either way, like she, again, her her kids have her last name. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So now can I, I ask you, is that a cultural thing? No, absolutely. It's just how it happened. To an extent, look, if you really want to say, because this is my Mexican side of the family, if you really want to say like, yes, in the Mexican culture, you do get your mother's maiden last name. It becomes your middle name um, mm. in the Mexican culture. So there is probably some really, really subconscious tie there. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, it's kind of what you just said. These are all women who've been divorced or had children with men with whom they no longer have relationships with. Like that's, that's just the fact for the four women in my family. And again, if Mm -hmm. we take it up to my grandmother, same thing. So it's really crazy to me that you have to almost like write down your family tree and almost write everybody's drama. <laughs> and Girl, then literally, if you, can, if you can, if you can spot the similarities because in the common thread. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because again, like I could look at my mom's four sisters. They all have very different situations, but the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, they all have the same last name and they're mm-hmm. in, you know, they're older. Where are you going to find four sisters in their fifties and sixties who all still have the same last name? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, they, yeah, exactly. No, that's like that that it's it really interesting how we kind of just discovered like the same I exactly what you said, like the same kind of generational curse. And I don't know if that like is so harsh or if I need to really keep on repeating that. I think I'm just gonna say pattern now. The same patterns, but indicative in different ways. That's really kind of funny. That's really, really interesting. Wow. And that's why I want to have more of these conversations. So like even yesterday, I had a friend reach out to me and and she, you know, was a little upset about something with her dad, but right. And Mm -hmm. I said to her, which is like I mentioned earlier, what I say to everybody who has a qualm with their parent, including my brother, I say this to my brother, I'm like, okay, you're mad at your father, you're mad at your mother, who taught them how to be a parent? Amen. Exactly. Who taught them? Because I look at my dad, who taught my dad how to be a dad? Well, for the first 12 years of his life, no one. He bounced bounced around like a basketball. He was discarded. He was unwanted from the day he Mm. was born. His birth certificate where it says father is blank because Mm. his mother didn't even know who could be the father. Um, and didn't even have anyone that she could even write a fucking name on a birth certificate. My dad's birth certificate is blank where it should say dad. And Mm. so whenever my brother, you know, has problems with my dad, that's the first thing I say. I'm like, okay, but you have to look at who taught him how to be a father because Mm. I'd argue that he did a really damn good job with the little he was given. 
Now at Amen. 12 years old, at 12 years old, he was adopted. And I think that was his saving grace. Um, and I love my grandfather. So I have a grandpa, but the dynamic mm-hmm. is, is difficult. You know, at 12 years old, a lot of who you are, a lot of the trauma that you've experienced is, is going to stay with you. Right. So yeah. while there was a lot of grace in my father's adoption later in life, and every podcast, I'm like, I'm not going to cry. Um, there, there, there are still, there are still, um, you know, there's still, there's still trauma there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's where I'm just like, okay, like, let's look at this. And I do find it fascinating when I say that to someone, because when I've said that again to my girlfriend last night, she was like, you're right. My dad immigrated to this country. Mm-hmm. Or you're right. My dad's dad passed away at when he was six years old. Yeah, and, and we kind of overlook those things because for us, we see our parents and they're already grown up. Yeah, so their mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, we don't see their journey. We don't see their trauma. They, you know, for the most part, try to hide their trauma. We might see symptoms of the trauma, but we're not going to see mm. them going through the trauma. And, and that's where we maybe miss the cycles, um, Mm -hmm. and and then can't effectively break them. And so where I say my dad really broke the cycle is my dad, again, I don't know, but if I looked at his mother with whom he never had a relationship, um, Mm. if I were not never, but she didn't raise him. If I look Mm. at his mother and I were to sit down with her, um, she's no longer around, but if I were to sit down with her, I guarantee, and I said to her, who taught you how to be a mother? I guarantee it would, you know, I would get some interesting answers. Right. My, my father was raised by a woman. Okay. It sounds crazy to say my father was raised by his grandmother. My father was Mine raised. By, <laughs> my father was raised by a woman who was raised by a woman who was born into slavery. Mm. That doesn't mm. feel far away. You know, when I think of it that way, because I'm like, the person who taught my father to be an adult was raised and and taught how to be an adult by someone who was born into slavery. Girl, like, that's exactly the same with my mother. And that's what people also don't understand, like, particularly as Black people in this country, like, people act like slavery was so long ago, but with certain families, it's only a matter of two or three generations away because it's the same thing with my mother. My mother was born in 1963. She, her mother was around. I love my grandmother, you know, good relationship with her, but my mother was raised by her grandmother and her grandmother was born in 1893, you know, so she was born into sharecropping in South Carolina and her parents were literally freed slaves. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the emancipation happened in 1865. So, right. I, 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 yeah. And so, you know, you're saying that she was born in the late 1800s. Hello. I mean, it's it's like, and we know that even when slavery mm-hmm. was, you know, quote unquote, abolished. Right. Black people were so just destitute in this country and so clueless Black people in the South looked to master for everything that, you know, once slavery, quote unquote, ended, they went immediately to the government to figure out, well, what do we do? You know, if, if this land is, isn't owned by Massa anymore, like, where am I going to live? How am I going to eat? Because, I mean, everybody was living off of table scraps and the leftovers and that sort of thing. So, and, and you got to figure, it's like, if we have parents 
that are raised by people that know these stories and are a direct product of this, what do you think they're instilling in our parents? Like what kind of fears, what kind of associations, what kind of traumas that are, are being directly passed down? Um, that's, you know, it's, it's really deep. Like that's, it's, it's, it's deep. <laughs> it's deep. I probably start rambling. I'm so sorry, but it's like, no. that's, that's just really no, deep. You're fine. <laughs> well, and, and again, like it's, it, it's so fascinating to me because I do have that dichotomy and, and for you having four parents, what I think is fascinating about that is you could almost cherry pick. Ooh, I don't like that. Dad, dad's family mm. does that. And I kind of like mm-hmm. that my second dad's family does that. And Ooh, like I like this. And you can almost, you have more examples of function or dysfunction where you can cherry pick what you want and, and consciously decide what you don't. Um, true. I, I feel similarly in the sense that, you know, I ha- have two parents who come from very, very different backgrounds. I still am fascinated that they ever connected in the first place. Um, right. You know, there, there are so many reasons why they're very different, but just their backgrounds. My mother is an immigrant. She was born in Mexico. Um, my father, you know, he, he comes from essentially a lineage, if you want to call it that, of being in this mm-hmm. country for the last 200 years. I, I've kind of been able to do that. At least I'm not in a situation. And, and I think this is where it's harder for people to recognize um, dysfunction is when both of their parents kind of come from the same type of brokenness or dysfunction. Mm. And where I don't want people to miss, like get lost is like taking ethnicity out of it. There's dysfunction I see, you know, I have a lot of wealthy, privileged friends. There's still a lot of dysfunction in those houses too. Oh, hell Um, yeah. (laughs) So this isn't just about poverty. This isn't about race. Um, You know, I think it's, it's a relevant call out um, when you're Mm -hmm. having a conversation, especially for us as black women, you know, Mm -hmm. that can't be negated, but I think we could have the same exact conversation without bringing in the ethnic ethnicity. But I, I, it's not, Oh, this is my problem because I'm black. It's like, no, but like literally my father was raised by a woman who was raised by a woman who was born into slavery. Like that's a little close. That's a little close for me. That's exactly. Holy shit. And that's where, again, I just love to ask a question. Who taught your mom how to be a mom? Yep, exactly. Where did she get that example from? Where, where, what, are her exa- what are her examples? What are her resources? What are her reference points? And like, what are just- yours? Mm. I, I find it disappointing, especially in today's age, that I think it's fair to say that having a child is the biggest commitment decision of your life there. Um, and my question for people is, okay, you want a child, but why, why do you want to make this big decision? And people don't have the answer. And I think it's disappointing. And I honestly, I think it's reckless. I feel like if you're going to make the decision Mm -hmm. to have a child, you should do it with intention. My follow-up question is who taught you how to be a mom? Look at the figures, whether it's your mother, your, your, your father, your grandmother, your teachers, you know, whoever, who influenced your idea of what being a mom is, what being a dad is, and how are you going to break the cycle with your child? Because if you're not thinking about these things before this child comes into the world, well, shit, before you make the child and choose the partner, you have this child, then 
we're going to be repeating the same cycle. And I think about that in terms of my daughter, should I ever have one of, am I going to do the same damn thing that's been done now for the last three generations, me being the right. fourth? How am I going to do this differently and be mindful from day one? Um, have you looked at certain patterns um, of what you would want to adapt or certain patterns that you'd want to let go of? Or have you recognized specific generational cycles that continue mm. to repeat themselves? And perhaps even within yourself, you're recognizing those patterns that you're perpetuating. But the first pattern I would say is even just in their parenthood, period. Um, like I said, both of my parents were actually raised by their grandmothers, but they both they both raised their kids. And they both did so intentionally. Um, so that that's number one. Uh, number two, what I would say is what I, I can say, particularly in my mom's family, um, there is definitely a, an inclination, not an inclination, I guess, um, we're predisposed to, I would say, like substance abuse and alcoholism. And those are symptoms of um, self-medicating and depression. With that being said, um, I have seen it with my mom going through, you know, major life traumas and events um, where the self-medication did come out. Um, but what I will say is kind of, I mean, is really great. And it's just really interesting witnessing with her is her breaking a generational curse of wanting to do better of, first of all, even being married and also raising me as a wife. Because that was a big thing, too. Um, so I saw her break it with that. I also saw her break it with her seeking therapy and seeking help when she felt like she's needed it. And I know she's the first one of, you know, her, my grandmother, aunt, whoever, um, and her previous generations to do that. Whether it's unintentional or she did it knowingly, I definitely think she, she set that example for me to know, like, it's, it's okay to seek help. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. Like, yeah, you got to be strong. You know, it's part of being a woman. That's one thing she's always told me is being a woman is not for the weary. Um, but it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to seek resources and seek help if you need it. So yeah, that's a, uh, that was something that I definitely was given a much better childhood than either of my parents had. And for that, I don't fault them for anything because to me, that's success, you know? Exactly. And that's where I say, who taught your parent how to be a parent? It's like, you're sitting here and you're upset because your mother or father don't handle certain circumstances properly. Um, mm -hmm. and that's annoying, but it's like, but did they give you a better life? I think if you can't even take a step back and look at the generational patterns and then you're having children, you're just doomed to repeat the same damn cycle. And it'll mm -hmm. be that moment when you overreact at your child coming home late at night and you scream at them and verbally berate them it'll be in that moment that you go, holy shit, I turned into my father. But by then, yep. it's by then it's basically too late. Mm -hmm. And that's that dreaded moment. Everybody has, oh my God, I'm turning into my mother. I'm turning into my father. I sound just like them. You, one of like your first signs of like maturity and really growing up is when you start seeing mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunt as people and human beings and just adults just trying to make it in this world like you are. But even before the motherhood and fatherhood comes in play, it's like, well, who taught you how to be a woman? What was your example of womanhood? What was your example of manhood? Like, what, what does that mean to you? How did you define that for yourself before 
procreating and trying to teach somebody else what it means to be a human being. I, so yes, it's, you're touching upon something that I've looked at with, I've always been a little fascinated, I guess, about my brother and I, because my brother and I are very different, but it's for the exact same reasons. So he is what I call a serial monogamous. He cannot be single. He's had a very serious girlfriend his entire like since he was 16 whereas I'm the opposite I'm more like I say in my head like okay marriage is the goal let me see this person oh I go on a few dates nope that's not marriage material next 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 Mm. next. bye not good enough don't like me enough not strong enough not gonna be so it's like weird because we have different ways of manifesting essentially the same fear that is interesting to me It's it's almost like you literally have two different testing methods and like two different like experimentation methods, if you will. Yes. And but ultimately what I think is sad for both of us and makes me truly sad is we didn't have an example of a loving, functional marriage. And so it's like, do I even know how to be a good wife? We know the ideas that we've seen from TV, but the fact is we haven't had many examples of loving. I I have very, very few loving, long lasting marriages that I look up to in my, Mm. in my life. And the ones that I do look up to, I'm a little too far removed to really know the nitty gritty details of that marriage. And I was just about to say that too. Like sometimes it's like in, in the ones that you even do look up to, it's like, damn, but I'm not there behind closed doors to really see what that's like. And look, if I'm being real, because uh, you know, I, I talk about wanting a relationship and this and that, if I'm honest, a big hesitation for me is what I just said in terms of no one's really taught me how to be a good wife. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a, a functional relationship. I've had a few functional relationships um, mm-hmm. that for which I'm very grateful, but it required a lot of patience on my partner's part. Um, mm-hmm. It required a lot of open communication. And to your point, it requires a lot of therapy, not therapy about the relationship, but therapy within myself to make sure Personal. that I'm not becoming codependent or mm-hmm. that I'm not self-sabotaging myself or that I'm right. not settling. And so to your, you know, if I had to say in one word, if I had to say it just in one word, how to address and break generational cycles, I would say therapy. I don't understand why more people aren't going to therapy. I'm telling you, there's such a stigma with it. Like there has to be something wrong. And it's like, no, there doesn't have to be. But let's be very real. Everybody has something freaking wrong. Everybody has a hang up. Everybody has something that they need to work out. Even if they're, you know, this person's issue is a little bit more surface or a little bit more shallow than the next person. It doesn't matter. It's still their issue to work out. And I've had several friends say, yeah, I probably should go to therapy. And oh, yeah, I've looked into it. Or they go one time in five years. And they're like, well, I went that one time five years ago, right? I mean, right. I I don't have a friend that I know of, a close friend that consistently goes to therapy. I'm the only person I know that consistently goes to therapy. Um, mm. And I feel a desire to talk about that because I know there's a stigma to it. You work through a lot. You get a lot of resources. I think of therapy almost as like a life class. Your therapist isn't telling you what to do. A good therapist doesn't tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. A good therapist listens to your concerns and gives you a tool of some sort, whether it is a book or a speaker 
or medical research to allow you to take those tools and decide this is what I want to pull from. They're giving you extra resources. That's how I look at therapy. I don't go to a therapist looking for advice. Um, mm-hmm. Usually I go to therapy so I can figure out which advice of my own I want to follow and right. kind of talk out the consequences to a neutral party that isn't, um, you know, isn't biased one way or the other in a certain decision I'm making. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I kind of to add to that, I, I completely, completely agree. Because every now and then they like, at least I know my therapist, she might, I don't even know if she necessarily offers advice as, as so much as provides a new perspective. And that in itself is a, is a resource too. you know what I mean? When, when, when you're just talking something out and they just ask one of those just prompting questions or food for thought questions that you say, you know what, I never thought about it that way. I'm going to sit on that because maybe that will kind of change my feelings on that. Or maybe, you know, just perspective can be everything sometimes. I think a good therapist is an educator too, in terms of providing resources. And I think you said it, you hit the nail on the head. It's like they provide resources or tools or perspective to, for you to figure out which of your advice you want to follow. Well, I am so glad that we had the time to talk today I because you're so wise and and it's so cool that I could just hop on the phone with someone and just have this conversation, not scripted, just kind of right. that's what I want, just sitting around and talking and and I am am so grateful. On a final note, do you have anything else you want to add or um just anything else that you have to say before we close it out? Um, not in particular. I'm just, I'm so thankful to have been able to come on and chat with you. And like, I just, you know, I've told you time and time again, that I love your curiosity. I love the way your mind works, but I really appreciate how you share that with us, with the world. And you give people a chance to talk and to express themselves and to converse. I think it's wonderful. So just thank you again. You're way too sweet. We'll just sit here and braid each other's hair and just give each other compliments. I okay so just one more time where can people find you if they're interested in following you on Instagram and seeing your really inspirational wise posts oh you're so sweet it's going to be on Instagram my only social media and my name is it's the rock I-T-S-T-H-E-R-A-C-Q perfect well thank you again Raquel talk to you soon For checking this shit show out. If you have an idea you'd like to be featured here, my email is ellayourbellapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.